welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. I'm really excited to be here tonight. I had an amazing conversation with Los Santos. She's a dancer here in Los Angeles. I met her probably like 18 months ago. She used to be a fitness instructor over at Lit Method, which is a low-intensity workout place that I used to go to. So that podcast should hopefully drop sometime next week. A really amazing talk about dance. And that's the thing. I don't really know anything about dance in the sense that, you know, when you're a musician or a singer, you want to be in a band or you want to go on tour or you want to create music for film or television. I guess... I really didn't know a lot of the opportunities that one could pursue when it comes to dance. So we really get into that and it's really interesting. So I'm really excited to have that podcast drop sometime next week. I'll probably edit it over the weekend. But today I was just thinking about a few things and I really wanted to share. I've been listening to this podcast that Ezra Klein posted a couple weeks ago, speaking to Dave Eggers. And he's one of my favorite writers. And they talk about technology and social media. There's some other things I want to talk about, but I was thinking about Dave in the sense that Dave was really one of the first writers that I really responded to. I was an English major in college, but I never really, I mean, of course I liked Edgar Allan Poe and I liked British literature and English literature, but it really wasn't until John Irving and Dave Edgar's, his first book, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, where I really became more attracted to literature, contemporary literature. And I remember, what's so interesting to me is, is that I remember taking my first solo vacation to Hawaii when I was in my mid-20s. And I remember taking that book, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, with me. And I remember being on the beach by myself, And this was at a time when I was filled with some anxiety about being alone. I remember going on a trip by myself, driving to San Francisco all alone. I was scared of being alone. And I tried to challenge myself by going on trips. And I still find myself (laughs) being scared of being alone. I worry about not knowing what to do or where to go to get help. I don't know. It's sort of been a anxiety. It's been the source of anxiety for on and off for much of my life, this concept of being alone. And I guess my point is, is that I, Dave is somebody that I've looked up to for most of my life. And although I haven't really, you know, loved his latest pieces of literature that he's written the last few years, I'll never forget being in Maui for four or five days, sitting on a beach by myself and reading that book. It was life-changing. It really, it was sort of a Catcher in the Rye moment for me. I remember reading Catcher in the Rye when I was in middle school. And I'll never forget reading a heartbreaking work of staggering genius when I was in my early 20s. It it really, I responded to that book. I it It allowed me to not feel It helped me not feel alone on my trip. And I think it also forced me being on that trip to, and this was well before Instagram and social media and cell phones. I didn't even own a cell phone at the time. 
it really forced me to become more comfortable being alone. And it forced me to sort of introduce myself and say hello to people that I met on my trip. It's kind of an interesting, it's the complete opposite of the world we live in now. The world we live in now is if you're alone, you go to your phone. And then you text and you DM and you stare at Instagram and you stare at Facebook and TikTok and all these these platforms that ironically are there to supposedly make you feel more connected and less alone. But what's happening is they're actually making people feel more alone. I was just really moved by the podcast that I listened to where Ezra Klein is speaking to Dave Eggers. And we'll get there later in the show. I promise. I want to play some clips of that podcast with you, or rather for you, um, later on in this episode. But some other things that I was thinking about. I was thinking about, and I talked about this with Lo yesterday, and I was thinking about it after I spoke to Paul and Calvin on my podcast. And that's that's the thing, you know, when I have these podcasts and I speak to people, I really do think a lot about what we talked about. And I think that's the beauty of conversation. When you're in a room just staring at somebody without the phone, and I think specifically when it's being recorded, you really listen and you really think about what the other person's saying. And and I, I even spoke to Calvin a few days after our conversation. And, you, you know, you really do think about the words you say, especially after you hear them back. But I, I was thinking about this idea of being a celebrity. And we sort of touched on that when I spoke to Calvin and when I spoke to Calvin and Paul. And I also touched on it a little bit with Lowe. And I think I'm thinking about it because... And this connects to sort of Netflix as well. But, you know, there's all these billboards in in L.A. for The Irishman and all these billboards for Marriage Story, these two movies that have come out, but Netflix is releasing them within a few weeks after the movie was released in theaters. And I'll share my opinions about those two movies in a second, but I've realized, and I was reading this article in the New York Times where they were talking about the 10 greatest or the 10 best performances this year in film. And for whatever reason, we really do look up to celebrities. We want to replicate their lives. And the way we do that, I think now, is through social media, through Instagram. Instagram has given everybody the opportunity to make people feel as though they're a celebrity. And I think that's powerful. I really think that is... Underneath it all, people's driving desire to feel like a celebrity. And it's kind of crazy to think about. It's almost like Instagram is your paparazzi. It's your makeup artist. It's a videographer. It's a director, a filmmaker. It's Us Magazine. It literally has all the tools to make you feel like a celebrity. And then, of course, it has the like so people can like you. It's a powerful, powerful analogy, I think. But I think it's sort of at the 
root of why Instagram and social media have become so popular. They make people feel like their lives are like celebrities. And, and you really, you know, this idea of taking selfies and videos when you're out to dinner, when you're here, when you're at a party. I mean, if you think about TMZ and sort of the paparazzi that follows celebrities around, I mean, it, it does make them look as though they're living the perfect life. And we don't know how happy Adam Driver or Scarlett Johansson are in their real life. We have no clue. But we know they're making a shitload of money being in movies. And when they're on their media tours or when they're on The Tonight Show talking about their movie or they're wearing incredible clothes from Calvin Klein or whomever, they all look like they have the perfect life. (laughs) But we really have no clue what their life is really resembles. And I think that's exactly what we've created with Instagram. We've created a platform where you literally can create a life that looks absolutely like utopia, like you're completely happy all the time. Your skin looks great. You have great dinners all the time. You go on great vacations all the time. It's satisfied people's desire to feel like a celebrity. And this kind of connects to Uber. You know, I went on a vacation for Thanksgiving for a couple days up to Silicon Valley. And, you know, Uber kind of makes you feel like a celebrity in a weird sort of way. I mean, you, you go to your phone, you call your car, you have the option to have a black car or like a black SUV or a limousine pick you up and it takes you wherever you want to go. I mean, I think that's the allure for Uber. I mean, on the surface, again, very similarly to Instagram, Uber seems great. It, it makes you feel like a celebrity. It makes you feel important. That's why people love Instagram and tech. It, it makes you feel important. It feels good to have somebody drive you around wherever you wherever you want to go. And I think Uber also sort of creates that aura of feeling like a celebrity. Very similarly to Instagram. You know, everybody on Instagram looks like they have a perfect life. And on the surface, Uber seems like this fantastic ride-sharing service where anywhere you are, you can get picked up for a pretty reasonable price. They can take you wherever you want to go. And it's funny, but on my Uber drive to the airport... I want to share this story with you. So I had read an article a couple, maybe a month ago, where Uber was going to start requiring cameras in the cars. And there's obviously been a lot of, I say obviously because I'm assuming that you've read, that there's been a lot of stories where there's been sexual misconduct taking place in the cars, sort of sexual harassment, drivers being harassed, passengers being harassed. So when I got on my Uber on the way to the airport, nice guy, I saw a camera on the dash and I asked him, I said, well, you know, what's, what's up with the camera? Is that, is that required now of you? He goes, well, this actually is something that I just put in about five, six months ago. And I said, well, why? what's going on? He goes, I will not, I can't begin to tell you how many crazy things happen in my car. And so over the next 20 minutes on the way to the airport, he's telling me all these stories of either 
you know, women that got in his car and started getting into fistfights and verbal altercations to the point where he had to literally pull over and demand that they get out of his car. A group of three kids, teenagers getting in their car, threatening him, stealing money. Another story where a woman and a man were getting into an argument and another person who had to, who was going to throw up in his car and it got so bad. He said this was literally hap- this kind of stuff was happening virtually every day and it got to the point where he had to stop driving at night. He literally now just drives from 9 to 5 because he said all the crazies come out at night. It sort of parallels my perspective and sort of my attitude in regards to tech and social media. You know, on the surface, the internet is fantastic. You know, when it came out, or email, or the internet, or being able to search and having access to all this information is fantastic. Instagram, you know, sharing photos. Uber, being able to call a service from your phone, and then it can take the car can take you anywhere. I mean, all these ideas and these platforms and these social media platforms are on the surface really wonderful, but human nature and our insecurities and our need to feel like a celebrity, just maybe humans by nature just don't know how to handle themselves. And so they use Instagram to feel like a celebrity, to make people assume that their life is perfect. And then people don't know how to handle a platform like Uber to the point now where Uber requires their drivers to have cameras in their cars because people act like lunatics. Oh, this is the other story I wanted to share. So my Uber driver also told me, you know, we have these $1,200 iPhones now that have come out. So what's going on in downtown LA? He said, people are walking around with their cell phones at their ears talking and people are just walking by. I mean, they're probably running away and just snatching them out of people's hands and taking off. I mean, think about that. The chaos is at an all-time high because of technology. And if you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, you have a $1,200 phone that you're just holding in your hand. No wonder people are just stealing them whenever they can. I mean, that's $1,200 in people's hands. And people are so obsessed or so into their texts or Instagram or their phone calls or whatever that they're not thinking that, huh, somebody may walk by me and snatch a $1,200 phone out of my hand. I want to play some clips from Ezra Klein's conversation with Dave Eggers. You know, you should listen to the whole episode. It's episode 275 of the Ezra Klein show. And it's actually, it's a little bit of a slow burn. It it takes, I think, 15, 20 minutes to get going, if a podcast can get going. There's a lot of things that I think about or thought about while listening. And one thing that, again, this this podcast touches on it is how we so easily just embrace technology into our lives. And I've said this before, but it just, it feels like you have to be a part of Instagram. You have to be a part of using Amazon or the Alexa or Facebook. I mean, and maybe you do because that's where most people are spending their time. It feels as though 
we have to embrace technology to be a part of the rest of the world. So, you know, there's a lot of points that Dave talks about, but I'm going to play some clips, talk, and then, um, yeah, and then we'll, we'll say goodbye. But I'm going to start off with this first clip, and then I'll, I'll obviously have some thoughts. I wrote something that I haven't published just about how tolerant everybody is about every new revelation of the in-home assistance. Like they say, well, you know, well, of course this machine wouldn't be listening to my conversations. It's just there to tell me the weather. And then we find out that it is listening. And they say, okay, well, as long as it's not humans listening, then that's fine. As long as it's not recording. Okay, I mean, as long as it's not archiving. Yeah, well, that would be a, a different thing. And then we find out not only are they listening, recording, but there's 10,000 people employed uh, to uh, listen to your conversations and ostensibly to improve the software. And then they say, okay, well, as long as it's anonymized and they don't know who I am or whatever, I guess it's okay for me never to know who's listening to what, when the machines can be turned off and on and they can turn themselves on at any, at any time. And all of these levels of like, even 15 years ago, if you had were to say that there was a machine that you were going to put in your home voluntarily that would listen to everything you say and store it in a place that you have no knowledge of, no access of, and no control. Nobody would, you know, run to the store uh, to get one of these things. It would seem to be beyond any dystopian fiction. But, of course, there's, you know, hundreds of millions in homes now, partly because we've evolved to the point where we just have no... I think our ideas of what privacy means or our value of it is almost completely gone. I think there's like a few square feet and our skulls that we find that we still retain like, okay, there's the bathroom, there's the bedroom after a certain hour or whatever, and then there's the space in between our brain. But nothing else, in no other place do we expect privacy. And I think that's a really, you know, radical shift in the you know the history of human evolution and it happened in 10 years do you think that's something that was always true about us and it's simply been revealed that we didn't care about the privacy that much or it was something that um got elicited from us you've got this nice line in that piece where you say you know what happens is we want more information often information to which we're not actually entitled i was reading that and thinking about some of these examples that i think is we endlessly want information that it's like actually bad to have, right? Like your, your friend with the read receipt, like let that make his life better. Oh, you no. know, when I'm sitting around being like, well, how many retweets did this get? It's not making my life better. Like oh. nobody nobody throws me a parade for retweets, but I do yeah. feel bad if they don't get it or like somebody else's podcast is, you know, above mine in the rankings. It's like, yeah, the metrics are really eroding our humanity. Yeah, you, I mean, they all really this are. stuff, like it's, I don't know if it was always in me or it just gets pulled out of me. Like, I think that's what I always wonder about that, is the internet revealing things about us or is it um, changing things about us? Like, like in a kind of deal post. You know, I'm going to answer Ezra's question. I'll pretend that I was on a show. I'm not sure. You know, Dave thinks that the internet's revealing all of these issues like a drug. He compares Instagram and technology to a drug as strong as heroin. But sometimes I think we all are by nature, we are, we are all by nature looking for confirmation, looking for validation, 
looking for attention. I guess to me, technology and social media have just amplified it all at a record pace. It has made people addicted to getting likes and attention. It's made people constantly use Instagram and their phone to get validation. Maybe that's what it is. It has amplified qualities in the human brain that were always there, but it's brought it all to the surface. And maybe they were hidden because, you know, we were busy talking or busy working or busy going outside to the movies or swimming or participating in various hobbies. But it seems like instead of being an active participant in life, we're sitting around and just doing whatever we can to get validated on Instagram. And then the more you do it, the more addicted you get to it. It's very symbolic to the title of my show, but it does feel as though it's a downward spiritual spiral of your brain. So yeah, I want to play another clip. I'll probably play two more clips. Oh, and then I also want to just tell you my opinion of Marriage Story and The Irishman. So here's another clip. Ezra Klein talking to Dave Eggers. Episode 275 for The Ezra Klein Show. I'm really plugging The Ezra Klein Show today, but I I really enjoyed this episode. So I, I, I really think it's important for you to hear some of the things that Dave says. It's just like if you released a new drug into the world that had been cooked up in a lab like LSD or whatever, and then you found that they would ha- that humans had a real, uh, they'd liked it a lot, and even though it killed them or degraded their lives in some ways. It, it, the internet was like that, something cooked up in a lab. It was a new force, and it's been mutated many times, and many of its iterations or permutations are really bad for us. And there's so many things that are so good for us. It's just that so often we take something good and then we put a surveillance into it. We put uh, the you know, utter lack of privacy into it. And, then it and, and we also put an ugliness somehow ends up into it. And those three things are very surprising to me given... I was around when it started, you know, like, you know, 92, I was 22 and seeing it pop up and email and everything. It just seemed like, oh, that's convenient. I like to be able to send a message to my uncle and uh, he gets it immediately. And, you know, there's so many nice things. And even, but then the metrics part, like who, what kind of twisted mind would think about quantifying how many, you know, and, and quantifying hearts and quantifying thumbs up and quantifying your friends and the other people's friends. And this, the datification part was uh, so unexpected, at least for me and I think for some of the hippies that were instrumental in the early days of the internet and who I've met since. And I think a lot of people were just really shocked, like, God, I didn't see all of this the, the datification, the quantifying, the ranking, the numerical assignations to every part of our lives being so quickly embraced. 
there are a couple of really fascinating ways in which the way the internet evolved or what it is revealed, I think, defied early expectations. And like this to me is one of the big ones that I, I remember the early internet too. It's so weird that we're, you know, you're a bit older than me, but not that many. It's going to be crazy that like we are the people who remember a time before the internet, right? Like it's going to, like <laughs> yeah. my son, like he's going to look at me like a dinosaur, but the internet was supposed to like vault us into this world of the mind beyond like the petty social and geographic and like, like the petty humanness of it all. Like we were all going to become, you know, like cyborgs. And the thing that is so fascinating to me about the internet is they built these tools and like, well, what's going to make somebody use these? And they're like, well, like, what if we let people do social stuff on them? Like we just like start like letting people have friends and hearts and rank, you know, how popular they are. And I don't think anybody had any idea, like not the foggiest idea, how powerful those drivers of our behavior were. That's what people's main obsession is now. To feel important, to feel validation. And and they get that through feeling liked on Instagram. And it's so clever when Instagram, you know, you know, stories on Instagram, you can share 15 second stories. It's so clever for them to show you who saw your story. That is such an addictive pull to not only just post a story, but then you go back to see who saw it. We are so intrigued by who saw our story. It's, it's so clever, it's so smart, and it's so addictive. It literally has pulled everybody's insecurities out in the forefront of their brain, and it draws them to Instagram more than anybody could have ever imagined. And the reason why I'm playing this last one is I just got the new iPhone 11, and I had the 8, and it was constantly running out of space. You know, I, I record music, and I take photos all the time. Or I take a lot of photos and videos, especially for my podcast, like promotional stuff. And I was getting tired of having a phone that was constantly running out of space. So I got the iPhone 11, and it's amazing. I just took a video of a concert that I went to a, a couple weeks ago or a week ago, and it, it looked better than any video I've ever captured. But... I felt, and I think a lot of it, my apprehension of getting it was after listening to Dave tell Ezra a couple things about his life. And I want to play you this clip, and then that'll, that'll be the last clip that I play. But it's also, again, I think really powerful. I read that you don't have Wi-Fi in your house. Is that still true? Yeah, I never had Wi-Fi. Um, I don't have a smartphone. I, uh, no shit. Oh, no. I've got my... Got my flip phone right here on my on the table here in the studio. I uh, yeah, I was not going to improve my life in any measurable way. So I yeah, never but that's got a one. hard thing to hold. Like I I, I don't want to just skip that over. Like, that's <laughs> like it's the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. Like you've been you've been holding out for a long time. Well, I you know I've I'll borrow them from people if I like. Hey, can I look this up or something? But um, I uh, there's not a lot of tools on a, on a smartphone that that would improve my life personally. And I've seen how everyone I know 
every day wants to throw it against the wall and they love it and they hate it. And, you know, they have these incredibly complicated relationships with this device. And I think, like, why would I start, you know, uh, it's like starting heroin or something. Like, what's the upshot of this, uh, of this uh, drug that you're going to be uh, fighting with for the rest of your life? And so my phone makes calls. And it makes, uh, and I can text. It takes me a little while. It's got that predictive text. I don't know what else it does. It has a calculator, so that's good. Why do you uh, Why do you have Wi Fi in your house? Same reason, you know. I it, it's also distracting, you know. I would pretend to be looking something up for research, and then I'd spend the next two hours watching, you know, soccer on YouTube, and um, so I can't be around something so powerfully distracting, and especially since. I like to have like an intentionality about a day where it's like, what do I want to do today? Well, I need to do this and I need to do that. Very little of it is going to be done on a Wi-Fi connected laptop. I think right around when I was looking to get a new phone, I heard that podcast or I heard what he said. And I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really in the midst of still writing my book and it is mentally such a challenging endeavor. And he sort of goes on to say, you know, it can take hours to get to a place where you're emotionally stable to then dive in and write your book. It's meditative, it's contemplative, it's so incredibly challenging. It's an uphill meandering battle that you know, you're, you're alone in solitude trying to battle these, the story inside of your head. And if you're distracted every 20 minutes by your phone beeping and buzzing, it's keeping you from diving in a little deeper. It's about awareness. It's about being really intentional and conscious about, I ultimately got a phone, but I I made sure to turn off all my notifications and I made sure to only download the apps that I want and need because if you're not careful, you get distracted and go down this rabbit hole of nonsense. And it's not like I'm immune to it. I mean, we all have that tendency to go down rabbit holes every single day. And I think that's another lesson that I'm trying to create with the podcast. If you're not careful, you are going to go down meaningless rabbit holes every single day and keep wasting time. And I just, again, I get the sense that people are more concerned about creating little meaningless ditties as opposed to creating something of substance. So again, I, I really recommend you listen to that podcast. And again, I, you know, we just live in this world where it's just expected that you get Wi-Fi. It's expected you get a smartphone. It's expected that you gather and collect all of these technological devices because they're supposedly meant to improve your life, make your life more convenient, make things more, make things easier for you. And I think that's possible, but I think, boy, it takes a really strong, disciplined human being to manage the distractions that can come, that can come from your cell phone. Last but not least today, I I have to end the show by sort of 
validating myself, I saw Marriage Story and I saw Irishman. And I'll start with Irishman. I'm so happy that I didn't end up seeing Irishman in the theater. I felt like a hypocrite because I didn't see it in the theater. I ended up seeing it on Netflix. But I'm so glad I did because it's three and a half freaking hours long. It's If you cannot make a movie that is three hours or less, then there's something wrong with your movie. A movie needs, like, there needs to be a cap. Three hours is the longest a movie should be. And with this movie, a lot was wrong. Robert De Niro, overrated. Al Pacino's doing his typical Al Pacino thing. Harvey Keitel, I have no idea why he was in the movie. It dragged, it meandered. The story was really, to. it got to a point where I just, who cares? I just didn't care. There was no payoff. There was no drama. There was no interesting storyline. It, it was really pretty boring and pretty mundane. And it felt as though Martin Scorsese just wanted to create something where it's like, let's bring the boys all back for one last hurrah. Oh, and then even like Joe Pesci, or no, Robert De Niro's daughter doesn't like Joe Pesci's character. And we never know why. Nothing, there's no payoff with that. It really was three and a half hours of ho-hum, don't really care. And I ended up watching it over like a week because I'd go in for like 45 minutes and I'd get bored out of my mind, but I wanted to finish the damn thing so I could talk about it. I can see why Paramount didn't want to release it because it wasn't very good. But there's Netflix again with their unlimited amount of money coming in and finishing the film or finishing the financing for the film so that then they can release it on their platform. And I got to say, I have no idea how critics are raving about this movie. It really makes me question what critics are watching. Because what I'm watching is a mediocre movie at best. It's not close to anything that Martin Scorsese has ever made before. It's mediocre at best. It's mostly just boring. And Marriage Story, I don't really get the fascination or the positive reviews for that movie also. I mean, the acting is is good. Adam Driver's great. Scarlett Johansson's really good. Ray Liotta's really good. I never really felt like I was in it. I felt I was just sort of like an onlooker. And there's nothing worse than seeing overprivileged, overprivileged white people complaining about their quote-unquote problems. It's sort of like their marital problems in this movie. It's like, come on, get over it. Work it out. Like, he's complaining and whining. She's complaining and whining. I mean, there's obviously some good scenes, but I don't understand the overwhelmingly positive reviews. And I even spoke to a couple of my friends and and they didn't get it either. It's just kind of, eh, it's okay. It's, again, Netflix releasing something that's just okay. But I think because people are so comfortable staying home and love the convenience of staying home, that Netflix will do whatever they can to get 
top quality actors like Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson to be involved in a movie on their platform because more people will see it. Because people don't want to go out of house, go, people don't want to go out of the house and go to the movies anymore. So, I feel like we live in a day and age now where people can't criticize anything anymore because you're called a hater. People don't do it respectfully. I think a lot of critics are worried about saying something negative about a film, like their reputation may be at risk. Maybe there's too much at stake for them or they may lose their job. I I feel like that's sort of what's going on. I think that's part of what's creating a world where there's so much mediocre content. People are scared to criticize. And I actually think being able to criticize in a respectful way is something that is actually really helpful to the creative process. If it weren't for some of my friends who told me a year ago that my book needed a lot of work, I would have released a book that sucked. And that doesn't do anybody any favors. You need friends that tell you that this could be better. And I think people are scared to criticize or they don't know how to criticize in a respectful way. So it's just just some thoughts, lots of thoughts today, kind of a longer podcast, but um, hopefully you found it intriguing and interesting. And as always, boy, head on over to iTunes, write a review, not to make me feel good, but those reviews get the podcast listened by more people because iTunes features podcasts to get reviews and five stars and likes and all that kind of stuff. So that stuff helps. So head over to iTunes, give the episode a five star, write a review. Tell me what you're thinking. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn, on Twitter at Eddie Cohn. And we're closing out the year. So I think we'll probably have one more podcast for the year with low, but I never know when I'm going to feel inspired to record a podcast. So I can record another one tomorrow. But I really appreciate you guys listening. One of my cats just walked in the studio, so I may have to end this soon. But I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show, reaching out to me on Instagram. That stuff is awesome. I love hearing from listeners. And I guess that's it. So as always, thank you so much for listening, being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Thank you.